Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. Come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. This morning, we have two readings. They were a little long, and so we've included a visual aid. Our first reading is Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, slightly abridged. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, slightly abridged. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a loud sound, came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the same and at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language when we come from all these hard-to-pronounce locations. Some people sneered and said they have had too much wine. But Peter stood up and said, These are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for your spirit that dwells among us, that 
fills us, enlivens us, and saturates all creation. We pray that uh, through your spirit, we may hear your word for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we read two scriptures because throughout church history, these stories have been sort of like connected or tied together at Pentecost. They're stories about spirit and language and unity. And and traditionally, the way that they've been understood is as a problem and as a solution. So it goes like this. We start with harmony. Everyone on earth was united. We, We all spoke the same language. We understood. We worked together. But then sin enters. And we used our unity to rebel against God by building this huge tower. So God punishes the people by making them speak different languages and and scattering them across the earth. But we have a solution at Pentecost when the Spirit comes down and unites us. In Christ, we no longer misunderstand one another. We, We can be united and work together. That's sort of the pattern. Oh, red is not working right now. It's supposed to say problem and solution. Um, you know, that's sort of ironic that the day that red on our PowerPoint doesn't work is Pentecost, but anyways. Um, so that, that's sort of the same basic pattern we also see in the Garden of Eden, where, where everything is harmonious, but Adam and Eve sin, so God punishes them, but... Jesus comes and saves us from the consequences of sin and death. The the Tower of Babel seems to fit that same basic pattern. It also actually fits the genre, because Genesis chapters 1 through 11 contain these big sort of like mythic stories that explain the reason for suffering, the reason for the Great Flood, and the reason for our different languages. Basically, these stories help us explain what's wrong with the world. And they also set up like a redemption arc because there has to be a problem so there can be a solution. So, uh, and, and really the problem is sin and, and a fundamental brokenness in how we relate to God. So that, that's chapters one through 11. So then chapter 12 actually shifts a new way of relating to God. Instead of God being equally revealed to everyone on earth, that's chapters 1 through 11, God decides to work through one family to reach the whole world. So God works with Abraham, which then of course leads to the nation of Israel, which leads to Jesus, who leads to the Holy Spirit. So it's sort of like these these early myths lay out the problem and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit solve them. It's this really cool pattern, and it makes so much sense. And I'm totally about to tell you why I think it's wrong. When I, I, I was really excited, actually, to have these two texts next to one another, because I was like, oh, these two, they go together really well. This is going to be cool. And then I read the Genesis text, and this, this one annoying little detail jumped out at me. 
Her story doesn't really talk about sin. It's not easy to figure out how the people rebelled against God. Now, now verse 4 does say that the people want to make a name for themselves. That's about the worst thing they do wrong. Because that might be a little bit selfish. But the reason they want to make a name for themselves is because they want unity. They want to avoid being scattered and separated. Right? And God sees this. God sees, their, their, uh, God sees what's going on and does not call it sin. Look at how God describes their, their rebellion, if you can call it that. Uh, it, it's probably prefaced by the Lord says, look, they're one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they'll do. Nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Basically, God realizes that the people are united. They have one language. They understand one another. They work together. They accomplish things. And they're about to accomplish even more. Is, is that really a bad thing? I mean, if we were to describe maybe like our hopes for humanity, or if we were to describe what the Holy Spirit does, we might say something like, God brings us together so we understand one another, we overcome our division, and we work together. That, that feels more like a solution than a problem. And it, it feels really different than the story of Adam and Eve. And there's another difference between that story of Adam and Eve and the story of the Tower of Babel. Despite what our Legos implied, God does not seem to be angry. God doesn't threaten. God doesn't talk about punishment. God simply says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they'll not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them from abroad, them abroad from there all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. That's, that's it. God's not angry. The people are not like naked and ashamed. They're simply confused and leave. So I guess I'm saying that Genesis 11 doesn't feel like much of a problem. And in a similar way, Acts 2 doesn't feel like a great solution. Because if God punished the people by making them speak different languages, if our different languages are the result of sin, if different languages were the problem, we'd expect a solution that solved the problem. But that's not the solution we get. In Acts, the Spirit comes down and does not make everyone speak the same language. The Spirit actually helps people speak different languages. The, the Spirit seems to hint that, that the, the problem might not have been a problem after all. Like, maybe God wasn't angry. Maybe God wasn't punishing them. Maybe something entirely different is going on. Maybe there's a better way to read this story. 
Maybe I should stop with the vague hints and tell you what I think. When we read the Tower of Babel, we, we do, we sort of start with that presumption that, that speaking the same language was a blessing or that that was God's intent. We, we look back and we think, boy, that must have been great. It, it would be so nice if we all spoke the same, if we all worked in the same place, if we all had the same goals. Wouldn't it be great if everyone was like me? That's, that's often what we mean. I was actually, I was uh, talking to a friend who's a pastor about this, who, who said, you know, I, I often think, gee, if, if the church could just all get on the same page, we could accomplish so much. And then they said, but I know what I really mean is, why don't they do what I want? Right? That we, when we think about everybody being united, the picture we have in our head is probably everyone looking like us. So sameness is not the ideal. Sameness is the problem. God had never intended people to all live together and be the same. Like when we, when we go look at those big myths, those stories in Genesis 1 through 11, we see that, that God intended people to be scattered all over the earth. So we'll just sort of go through these. After, right after creation, after that first one, God blessed humanity and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Then after the flood, God blessed Noah, or after the flood, Noah said to his sons, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. And then actually, so that would be Genesis 1 and Genesis 9. And then in the chapter immediately before the Tower of Babel, we actually have a listing of all of Noah's descendants in the region they lived. We are again told that the, after the flood, God's intent was that the people would spread out over the whole earth. But the very next story, the people don't want to. The reason they build the tower is to make a name for themselves. But the reason they want to make a name for themselves is so they can avoid being scattered over the whole earth. I mean, that's the thing that they want. They don't want to be spread out. And, and the people want to stay together because people want to be the same. People 3,000 years ago wanted the same thing we want now, to basically have everyone be the same as us. We are just generally most comfortable in groups of people who are similar to us, people that look like us, get the same jokes as us, think like us. It, it feels safe and at home, because we know we'll be understood. And we might not bring it to conscious thought, but we're often drawn to people really similar to us. A, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was providing a reference for an old friend and ended up chatting with someone in like senior management at a large firm in, you know, like California or something. And, and we were chatting and we started talking about hiring more generally. And he said that 
the most common mistake people make is that they hire themselves. Because it's, it is easier to work with people who are similar to us. Like, building consensus in a really diverse group takes, t uh, with a lot of opinions, it takes time. Because we have to build relationships. We have to build trust. That, so we know that like someone's approach that's different, that we can trust it and know that it'll be just as good as our plan. And, and I, I know this is the case, especially like working in community settings, that uh, when you gather a group of people with a bunch of really different opinions and you wanna plan an event or make a decision or come up with a plan, it takes a lot longer. And it also can feel risky, because difference can sometimes feel like a referendum on who we are, like a referendum on me. It, it, I mean, this is sort of a silly example, but if I have a favorite TV show, and I really like excitedly tell my friend, like, I love this show, and they say they don't like it, it almost feels like they're saying something's wrong with me. Like they're, they're sort of throwing shade on my taste. And, and that's not the case. They're just different, it's like different things. But, but we often sort of internalize that. And, and, and sharing yourself like that can be vulnerable. And particularly, again, when people are different than us, it might feel risky. Like we might accidentally offend someone. Like, we, especially, you know, we want to make people feel valued and respected. But if we come from different cultures, sometimes we don't quite know how. We, we feel fragile or maybe we feel a little bit insecure that we don't know quite the right things to say or the right, right way to act. And, and maybe my attempt to be nice will actually be a little bit insulting. And, and it's just easier to hang out with people who are like us. Right? There's, there's risk in this. We risk disappointment. We risk feelings of rejection. We risk accidentally offending people. And, and we can overcome all those risks. But it just takes time. Time to learn to trust others' ideas. Time to trust that you're not rejected despite your difference. Time to to build the relationships that can sustain offending one another. And what we're talking about when we describe that is hard-earned, genuine connection, which is sort of the point. Maybe even the reason that God does not de desire sameness, because God desires deep, meaningful connection where we can be vulnerable and honest as we share our truth with our, of ourselves to one another. And, and yeah, I'll just mention this too. I mean, like, and also if we think about some of the worst things that have ever happened in the world, things like uh, genocide and xenophobia and fascism, they are almost always connected to an idea of sameness, that we should all be alike and someone else is different and that's dangerous. But the revelation of Pentecost, I think, is that God was not punishing the people for building a tower. God was liberating them from the illusion that sameness is the goal. Right? Punishment and liberation are pretty different. 
When the Spirit comes down, people don't like suddenly start speaking the same language. The Spirit doesn't make people the same. In fact, the Spirit seems to celebrate the difference in all these languages that are being spoken. The Spirit reminds us that God is present in all different cultures and ways of being. The Spirit is at work bringing understanding that that respects and celebrates difference. That's That's the basic story of Pentecost. And it's also the story of pretty much the whole book of Acts. So in Pentecost, because Acts happens in chapter 2, it's like the first thing that happens. And the church is given the mission of welcoming and accepting difference. So then in Acts chapter 7, I don't know if you know this story, uh, Stephen, one of the apostles, is persecuted and stoned. So because of that, the apostles are scattered and they leave Jerusalem. They go out and fill the earth, and what they find is God is waiting for them in in people who are totally different. Uh, Philip, in chapter 8, goes to Samaria and finds that God is with the Samaritans. So the early church actually changes to include this ethnic group that they once hated. Then Philip goes down and meets an Ethiopian eunuch who'd been banned from the temple because of his, his like sexual status as a castrated man. But again, the church welcomes this perceived outsider to, to join their community, not by asking him to be any different than he has ever been. They change who they are. And again, then the church in the next chapter welcomes Paul, who is this fundamentalist who'd been persecuting them. Then the chapter after that, The church welcomes Greeks and Gentiles who essentially have a different religion. They don't keep kosher. And that's the story of the early church. That's the mission that is given to them at Pentecost, to welcome everyone, no matter their race, their ethnicity, no matter if they're murderers, no matter if they belong to a different religion. Like, that's the story of Pentecost. It's the story of the early church And it's the story of us. This is sort of what it is to be an ecumenical church, to to seek to be a place where difference isn't erased, but opened with welcome arms so we can learn from one another. And, And I'll be real, this is not easy. Like, there's a reason that everyone doesn't do this. And it's not easy in the church, and it's not easy in our lives. Like, relationship with people who are just pretty different than we are can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It can make us feel uh, scared. It can make us feel less at home. Because our, our differences demand something greater than us. They demand that we're willing to make changes. They demand that we take time to slowly build trust, to get outside our comfort zone and be vulnerable with one another. And, and I'm not going to like pretend that this is easy or just like all happy, clappy joy. But it's here in the difference that we see the Spirit at work. And, and as we 
as we begin to trust one another, we see the Spirit made real. As we find God in the face of another, the Spirit descends. As we, I don't know, as we like affirm the life of someone who's radically different than us, we, we experience the greatness of God and the breadth of what God is doing in our world that perhaps we hadn't seen yet. So, so I pray that we are, we're filled with the Spirit, that, that we have the courage to extend ourselves, not just like in the church, but in, in our lives outside the walls of the church, where it's a little bit tougher often. And, and it might be that this is like a sort of a softball or I'm preaching to the choir to people who, who like that difference and celebrate it, but I'm imagining we can probably conjure up some images of some people who are going to be a little bit hard to, to accept and welcome and love despite their differences. So if we feel uncomfortable in those moments, if we feel frustrated, if, if we feel like it's hard to find common ground, I want to encourage you, you can just do this quietly. Just take a deep breath. Right? Exhale and know that the Spirit of God is with you. Amen.